You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Starting a family can be a wonderful and exciting time. It can also be a time of huge relationship stress as you both adjust to life with small, dependent children. Arguments about small things like whether the baby is hungry or tired or who had more sleep can creep in and build resentment. Psychotherapist and author Dr. Karen Phillip says it's possible to stop these arguments and that it's not only possible, it's essential for the well-being of your kids. Her new book is called Communication Harmony and she joins us now. Hi Karen, how are you? Very well, thank you. Does having children impact most partnerships? Most of the time it does. Not necessarily, we can't say 100% of them, but certainly the vast majority, yes, it does. And there are a number of reasons for that. You know, you've had you and your partner for perhaps years and years, enjoying life together, building your home, traveling, getting to know each other's family and friends, doing pretty much anything you want when you want. And then you are blessed with it baby and the joy of your life whom this little creature that you just so adore and you become sleep deprived and you have to stop work for a while and the relationship takes a little bit of a second place to the welfare and the love and the care that you must give your baby particularly in the first six to twelve months of its life and this is where we find in some couples a number of them actually, that their relationship does become a little more strained and perhaps a little disconnected at times because mum's focus normally is on the baby, particularly if she's a first-time mum. She's never done this before. Now, if she's had a large family, lots of nieces and nephews, uh, knows exactly what to do and when to do it, yep, that makes life easier. But the way that we live these days, we're usually a little bit disjointed from the majority of our family. And we don't often have a huge connection with our nieces and nephews, if we even do have any, because our families are so much smaller. So it's a very big learning curve for both mum and dad. Dad can sometimes feel that he's taking a second a second place or even third place sometimes to mum and the baby, which of course he does to a degree. And that can make him feel a little disassociated with his with his partner and sometimes with the child, depending how much leeway mum gives him and how much she wants dad involved, uh, which is another issue. But you're right when you said about the sleep deprivation. That is a huge issue that, you know, new mums know about it. They know they're going to be sleep deprived. But until you actually feel it and experience it, you truly have no idea dear how bad it can get yes and how weird it feels as well i mean you talk about arguments starting up when they're small that can become habitual mm. that can be a quite an unconscious transition can't it like you you're not aware that what started when they were babies has continued till they're toddlers and it may not even be appropriate anymore when, if, if and when we do start to, to argue with our partner, and so many couples do, unfortunately, and while couples do believe that it's a very normal part of a relationship, I do tend to disagree with that. I believe that you can certainly have differences of opinion, but there's really never a need to argue. And 
You know, and the reason being is that we need to understand what our partner is thinking and feeling, whether we like it or not. We need to understand it. And when we argue, we're shutting that down. We're saying that I know what I think and feel, which is right, and you need to do exactly the same, to think as I do, feel as I do, say what I want you to say, behave the, the manner that I believe you should behave. And that's never very conducive for a relationship. So when a child does come along, if these arguments and disagreements do start, it could be that maybe maybe dad or the partner doesn't really understand what mum may need, what mum is feeling with this new baby, being responsible for it, feeding it, getting up to it multiple times a night. When the baby cries, maybe it has wind or colic, maybe it's got a tummy ache. All of these things take its toll on the mum. I mean, whatever the baby feels, mum feels. Often the, the partner doesn't. They don't have the same connection. So when we get perhaps a little bit abrupt or short with our partner, and it could be mum to, to their partner or the partner to mum, then these things, if they're not adhered to fairly quickly, can escalate and just grow. And then all of a sudden, this very happy, lovely couple with no cares in the world, two years later after the bubby has come along, are just at each other's throat. They'll say one thing and the other person will just snap at them, whereas a year or two ago that never happened. What's changed? Well, we change. When we become parents, we change. Our priorities are slightly adjusted and unfortunately we don't position our partner as high up on our list as our child and we do really need to. And I understand the first six, 12 months, of course, the baby is so you know, required so much time from both parents. But really, the both parents are a couple and they need to nurture their relationship as much as they did pre-baby, post-baby. And that's really important. And so many couples I get through that are having experiences that are negative uh, and arguments and so on, I usually ask them, and they may have one, two or even three children, when's the last time the two of you went on, say, a date night? Just the two of you, candlelit dinner, glass of bubbly, just sat back and laughed together. And usually one turns around to the other and says, how old's Fred? Seven? (laughs) Yeah, that would be about seven years. And it's like, hmm, this is possibly a reason that the two of you are feeling disconnected and are basically arguing too much because they're they're tense, they're stressed, they don't understand, they don't believe their partner understands how they feel or what they want. And even though we say about communication, what communication is all about is making sure that what we have to say, what we want to share, how we feel, what we think is understood by the other person. And when we raise our voice, the other person just shuts down. You know, they, they don't hear us. They don't understand us. We get an escalation of emotion. When emotion is escalated, our logic actually disappears. There isn't any. So we can't possibly have a logical conversation if one or both are emotionally escalated. It's not possible. Mm. Um, so if we go back to the beginning and it's the um, that idea about being understood, but then perhaps if we take it back to that very early days when it is something like, which I think must be a very typical argument in new families, is you got more sleep than me. Now, tip for tat, oh, yes. that race to the bottom of sleep, the cavern of sleep deprivation, <laughs> who yes. can get there first. Mm-hmm. How would you suggest we approach that? Because I can see that building up. Because if you don't address that sense of inequality when they're not getting sleep, by the time the child is two, they'll be thinking, I have 
always been the one who got up to the child. And it might not be the way it is, mm-hmm. but that's the way they've seen it because they never addressed it back at the beginning. And this is exactly right. At many times, we have one parent that does get up to the child, you know, most often. And that's often because one parent is continuing to work. So it only makes sense that the other parent gets up. But what is not often understood by either a female partner or a male partner is that the woman that's had the child is going through not just sleep deprivation. She's going through a huge learning phase. She's worried about her breast milk usually. She's worried about the way she looks, how she feels to the outside world. If she's going to be a good mum, which mum guilt is just another conversation <laughs> entirely. Uh, and then, of course, you, you do become sleep deprived. And sure, the partner may say, look, I've been picking up the slack and I've been doing a lot more. I've been doing more cooking and shopping and washing and cleaning, if that's possible. And that occasionally happens, but we don't find that that happens a lot, unfortunately. But mums, are, they're really left with a, a huge, huge barrel to carry. You know, not just the baby, but everything that goes with it. And the partners don't understand. And and how could you? I mean, it's the same as saying to someone, okay, we had their landing on the moon recently, the the anniversary, right, 50-year anniversary. And you'd sit there and you'd watch it and, oh, wow, that was amazing. I actually remember watching it when I was in primary school. And, you know, we would talk about it, even people these days say, wow, imagine what that would have felt like if you were Neil Armstrong and stepped on the moon. And we all go, oh, wow, wouldn't that be incredible? None of us have got any idea or clue what that would feel like. (laughs) We cannot position ourselves there. So when you're asking or mum is asking for someone such as her partner to understand what she's feeling, it's really an impossibility. They really can't. One, they're often not the same gender, but two, they've never carried the baby, they haven't gone through the birth, they don't have the same concerns, worries, fears that the, that the biological mother has, so they really don't understand. And mums are, they work tirelessly at trying to convince their partner, this is what I feel, this is how I feel. And, you know, 10 points to them for trying, but unfortunately mums, they'll really never fully get it. So what do we do? <laughs> well, we have to accept that they'll never fully get it. Right. That's the first thing. Ouch. We do try and convince and convince. And this is where a lot of arguments are escalated because it's like, you don't hear me. You're not listening to me. They are often listening and they do hear you, but they don't have the same emotional connection. They can't feel what you're feeling. And so all mum can do is do her best to explain. And I strongly suggest to all dads or all partners to be curious Ask questions. Help me, sweetheart, understand. Help me get what it is that you're feeling. They may not, I must admit. Often they do not. But um, the more they can try and understand, the better. And the more that the mum feels heard, she feels more validated, like, oh, my God, he's trying to get it. Even if he or she doesn't fully get it, they're trying. And that in itself makes such an impact And it's a very positive impact. Do the mothers need to try and do the same for their partners? Say they've come home, they've had a really bad day at work, which can be very hard to empathise with when you're still sitting in your pyjamas with baby sick all over (laughs) you, your boobs hurt, you can't sit down Mm -hmm. because you're tall when you had your baby. Um, Do we still need to give that attention back to them? When we can. Sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes mums can just feel so overwhelmed they struggle to do that. However, while saying that, 
as soon as mum can do that, she can open up her baby world to the outside world, which is why things like mother's groups are so important for, for mums. doesn't matter if it's the first baby or third baby, but particularly the first. We need to mix it with other mums. We need to talk about things, and of course it's going to be all about the baby. But after a few months of being in the group, say four to six months, we start to get to know the other mums. We start to understand their career path, what they're doing, a little bit about their job and, and their, their other children if they have any. So we broaden our horizon, if you like, so we're not just in our mummy bubble because our mummy bubble can sometimes hurt us rather than help us. So it, it can be a bit of a hindrance, not in the first, say, you know, three to six months, but certainly after that. And when dad does come home, he may need to vent or, or partner comes home, they may need to vent. And we need to give them the same courtesy and listen. If we say, look, it's been a, an absolute shocking day today, sweetheart, look, uh, can we order takeout and just get it delivered? Because I just cannot even bear the thought of going in and starting to cut up the vegetables. Then, okay, you know what, sweetheart, that's exactly what we're going to do. Or we'll get in pizza or whatever. So we take off a little bit of pressure. So we don't sort of say to dad when he comes home or partner when they come home, I haven't had time. You need to start cooking. You need to do this. Because, well, the, the word you need to is some of the words that we just shouldn't use. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they've had a pressure day as well. It's just different pressure. When children get older uh, and they enter the toddler years and start pushing all those buttons and exploring all those boundaries, the issue of discipline can come up. And I have had some people um, say, talking to your partner about how you're going to handle this before you have kids is a good idea. But I do not know anyone <laughs> before they have children who have thought far enough ahead to have a conversation about how do we feel about discipline. How do you um, negotiate those big topics as a couple? Like it, it might mm. not be discipline. It might be for some reason you've never talked about what faith you want to raise them in and you're an atheist and they're a Catholic or whatever it might be. The big thorny issues that just don't come up until your child's of a certain age. Mm. How do you approach those things? You're already deep in it. It's not like you can back out now. <laughs> exactly right. And, of course, in the in the ideal world, these are the conversations we really should have had. My second book was called OMG, We're Getting Married. And in that book, I cover every one of these topics that you don't know you need to talk about That's before the child comes. Such a good comes. idea. Such um, a good idea for a book. <laughs> oh, gosh. It's so, so needed. But you're right. These things will come up. And, and we usually... We are the person we are due to the way we've been raised. So if we were raised in a, a, in a household that was you know, fairly disciplined, if you want to use that word, uh, then you may want your child to bed at a certain time. You, don't, you want them to say please and thank you, to have manners. You want them to you know, give Nana a kiss or Poppy a kiss when you see them. All of these beliefs that you have embedded in you. But your partner may have been raised in a different type of household where it was free and easy. Perhaps, oh, you go to bed whenever you want to, if it's one o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock <laughs> at night, whatever, which doesn't generally work very well. But we do have differences, you know, in the way we've been raised, which flows on to the way we parent. And when, if and when you do find yourselves in this quandary of, oh my goodness, they're not doing what I'm doing, you know, good cop, bad cop type of thing, that's when both need to have a serious conversation. I usually recommend having it with a, a third party, like a counsellor or someone that's, that's 
reasonably qualified. You don't need psychology because you don't have a mental illness. It's is just somebody that is t- very well trained in this particular area, a parenting expert of some description. And you sit down and say, now, I think this and they think that. Who's right? Well, both of you are, for you. But what we need to do is find a way to meet in the middle because it's all about what's best for the child, not really what the parent thinks. So, for instance, in that in that instance where, you know, one partner may say, oh, look, I never was told to go to bed. I just went to bed when I got tired, whether it was 8 o'clock at night or 1 o'clock in the morning. And mum's saying, mm, no, from all the research that I've read, sweetheart, it's really important to be in bed at 7.30 or 8 o'clock so you're ready for school or, or preschool or whatever and you're not angry and you're not, you know, and we know that a child's brain must have sleep to fully develop appropriately. Uh, so we need that. So therefore, the mediator or the counsellor would sit there and explain all of those sorts of facts and then they would ask, well, I shouldn't say they, I mean, I would ask and I'm presuming most would do the same. I would ask him or the partner, what's the reason you think this would work. Convince me that that's right for your child. And then I would say the same to the mum. Most of the time in this sort of situation, the parent that has been raised in a reasonably, if you want to call it disciplined, I don't particularly like that word, but a, a household where there is a consequence for behaviour, not a, not a harsh one and God never smack, um, but you know, a consequence for behaviour with a set routine, the child knows precisely what's expected of them when's it it is expected of them and how they should behave and what's going to happen if they do step out of line not do something wrong because they'll all we all do that even as adults but uh, you know the parenting side of things can be quite challenging the same as the religious side of things but you know what most couples do know what the religion is of the other person prior to marriage and they do have a fair idea of the faith that they hold the fact that we've married them means that we accept and honor what they feel. But should the child be raised as a, for instance, as you say, in a Catholic environment, Catholic school, or in one that's public or not attend church? Well, if they don't go to church or whatever, then that's fine. But if mum really does, or it could be dad, find that faith is a very, very important part of their life, then I usually recommend that the other parent consider the child going to, and I've had this conversation with couples in the uh, counselling room many times, to go there because in the early days, it's a, it's always better for the child to be educated. The child at a, at a particular age, whether they're 10 years old, 12, 15, whatever, even eight perhaps, they can decide, you know what, I don't believe in this, I don't agree with this, I don't like it, but at least they're making an informed decision. Whereas if we don't give them any instruction or show them anything that's outside their little little pocket of beliefs, then they've got nothing to compare it to and they can't make an informed choice and decision for themselves as they grow older. So it is important if they don't go to Catholic school or go to church, certainly to have some sort of education and information on the religion of the other parent as well, I think is, is very important. Now, all of this stuff about arguing and working out how to uh, avoid it as parents comes down to the fact that it's not great for kids to see their parents arguing. What kind of impact does it have on children? Well, we know that uh, that babies from the age of around six months, research is showing us, that uh, show distress 
if and when their parents argue. Now, of course, the child doesn't know what they're saying. They can't understand the words. But just the environment, the raised voice, the tone of voice, the uh, the feeling that they, they pick up within the home and from the parent, particularly if it's, if it's mum that's upset or distressed and baby needs to have a feed and mum's breastfeeding, the baby often won't feed. The baby will usually develop some sort of you know, discomfort in their tummy because they are distressed. And we know as the children develop from the age of 18 months, two years old, we have um, where there's sort of conflict and high conflict within the uh, family unit. We have uh, increased amounts of depression, anxiety, anger with the child. They, they act out. The child's sleep is often disturbed. They have difficulty focusing. And when they get to school, they struggle achieving, you know, achieving their best. They lack problem-solving abilities. They have lower social competencies. And they have difficulty focusing in many, many ways. So there's no positives for parents to be at conflict, not for the parents and certainly not for the children. But look, having a disagreement once in a while that's not what I'm talking about. I mean, uh, unfortunately, people do disagree once in a while, and there's no problem with that. We're different and individual human beings. But it's the way we disagree. Because what parents teach their child right from day dot is how a person talks, how a person listens. Does a person understand? What language and words do they use to get their point across? Do they raise their voice every time they demand to be heard? Or do they stop and listen? and then ask questions if the other parent 